We want to welcome you to the Love First podcast and thank you for joining us. Last week, we began a new series on friendship, the gospel, the church, and justice. We noticed that in the first century world, the context was primarily informed by the philosophies that we know of as Greco-Roman culture. Aristotle influenced the thoughts about friendship greatly, and some 40-plus years before Christ, Cicero wrote a bestseller on friendship, which incorporated much of Aristotle's philosophy. It's important for us to understand this background because Jesus picks up on the concept of friendship. In such a powerful way, in John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. The servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, for I've made known to you everything I received from my father. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't Lord. It certainly doesn't mean that we don't serve him. But Jesus was articulating something that was going to change the world. And that was that friendship was going to be redefined by the way that the God of heaven and earth invites people into friendship so that we would rearrange the way we think about friendship with each other by the extension of divine friendship from our creator and our savior. Those earlier philosophers, when they looked at the world, when they thought about the gods, they didn't really see a way for unequals to be friends in the highest order. Jesus turns that on its head. Historians of friendship have noted that the teachings of Jesus redirected the trajectory of friendship and the philosophy of friendship for all the centuries since then. But then we come to a time such as our own, where it's interesting that Aristotle said that the first order and the first purpose of politics was to help the citizenry develop friendship. You notice last week, if that's true, right now the United States of America is not getting a passing grade. We haven't seen friendship fostered. We know we must do better, and we believe that the church can provide that leadership. And so we mentioned last week that we would have a very specific conversation this evening. If this is your first time to join us at the Love First podcast, thank you. The purpose of the Love First podcast is to catalyze courageous conversations that revolutionize the way we love. But tonight, not only are we going to catalyze those conversations, we want to catalyze courageous action. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to invite you to join us in some courageous action around justice, faithfulness, and mercy. And so we have some special guests with us this evening. And in just a few moments, they'll introduce themselves. If you're returning, thank you for liking, subscribing, and sharing. And let's get right to it. Love first, I know. Lord, take control. Love first in my soul. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining us this evening. And what I'd like for us to do is just take a few moments to introduce ourselves. We have two uh, brothers from Greensboro, North Carolina, 
and we've got two from Abilene, Texas. So let's start with the two from Greensboro. Nick, would you please introduce yourself and just share with us where you serve? Jason, would you introduce yourself and share with us where you serve? And then we'll go to the brothers from Abilene and Jerry and Doug, if you would introduce yourselves after that. All right. Um, thank you, Don. I appreciate the opportunity to be on this evening. I'm looking forward to a great discussion on tonight. Uh, my name is Nicholas Glenn. I'm the minister of the Sharp Road Church of Christ in Greensboro, North Carolina. Wonderful. Hey, good evening to everyone and just delighted to be here tonight. And I'm, my name is Jason Noble, and I am the preaching minister at the Friendly Avenue, Friendly Avenue <laughs> Church of Christ in Greensboro, North Carolina. Thank you, brothers. All right, Jerry and Doug. I'm Jerry Taylor, and I teach here at Abilene Christian. I direct the Carl Spain Center on Race Studies and Spiritual Action, and uh, formerly uh, ministered to the South English Street Church of Christ, now the Sharp Road Church of Christ, where Nick is the, the minister there now. Wonderful. Wonderful. And Doug? I'm Doug Foster. I'm Retired teacher from Abilene Christian University, still do some teaching there in church history. I'm an elder of the Mentor Lane Church of Christ here in Abilene. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And one of the beautiful things about this group this evening is you all have crossed paths with each other in a variety of ways. And so I know this will be a real blessing for our listeners. When we think about stories where people might share about a, 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 a Black church being firebombed or an attack on a black church from white supremacists, we often kind of have this imagination that that's somewhere outside of our circle of understanding, or maybe that's in the past. Maybe we're, maybe we're teaching a history class on racism in America, but that's not really what's happening. This week here in Atlanta, Someone firebombed two black churches, one of them, the Renaissance Church of Christ. And on the 27th of September, the Sharp Road Church of Christ in Greensboro, North Carolina, where Nick is the preaching minister, the lead minister, also was assaulted and attacked during their worship through a Zoom meeting uh, 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 experience. Nick, would you share with us what happened on the 27th? And just tell us a little bit about that experience so that our listeners, if they're not familiar with it, they could know exactly what you all encountered. Um, absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, it was on um, the 27th. We were in our worship environment. Uh, we've been using the Zoom platform since March. Um, we also do a Facebook Live. Um, we had been running the Facebook Live off of the Zoom broadcast, but had recently just separated. And um, we're glad that we did because of the incident um, that we experienced. Mm. Uh, right now, we've been doing um, pre-recorded messages. I would go in during the week, record the message. Uh, we've had our worship team and praise leaders also record some songs and the brothers each week would submit their recordings for the Lord's Supper, prayers, things of that nature. So um, on the 27th, we were probably about um, a little over halfway through the sermon. Um, and then the chat box got infiltrated um, by about four or five different people. Mm. Um, and they immediately uh, began um, um, racist terms, um, hate speech, um, death threats, um, some very 
um, disturbing images. They were able to um, use the annotation feature on Zoom and draw on the screen and um, definitely a very disturbing time. And so um, um, as it was going on, I was unaware of it. Um, the broadcast actually uh, goes from my laptop. So um, once I hit play, I can't see anything other than the broadcast. Yeah. And so everyone else who was there actually in the Zoom um, saw what was going on. And my wife said, um, I think we got somebody in our chat. And as soon as she said that, it was just rapid fire, one right after another. And they just kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on. And um, of course, my wife said, stop the broadcast. So uh, immediately stopped the broadcast, stopped my screen share, um, found, found the individuals in the chat and was able to remove them. Uh, didn't have much time to think about it. Um, just had to react and um, didn't say anything. Um, didn't unmute anybody. We just started the broadcast from where it hit that they had got in and moved, moved forward and kept worshiping. Mm. Now, without I don't want to I don't want to ask you to, uh, you know, put anybody back through unnecessary trauma. But when you say, you know, racial attacks, um, things like that, were they explicit? Um, they, they, they affiliated themselves as um, MAGA supporters, Make America Great, um, just to say, if, uh, give it some context of things that were said, uh, MAGA 2020, uh, White Lives Matter, Black Lives Don't Matter, uh, Kill All N-Words, um, Go Pick Cotton, uh, Ain't Jemima, um, they drew a uh, pornographic image um, of a woman. Um, and of course, all of that was just deeply disturbing. Not only um, were there adults on the broadcast, but children as well. Mm. And so um, definitely deep, deeply um, disturbing, mm. to say the least. Well, since that time, Nick, uh, you and I visited last week and you hadn't right. slept much. Right. That Can you update us on how the church is doing and some of the activities since that time? Yeah, um, I think overall the church is um, doing better. Uh, we were blessed last night to have Dr. Taylor to facilitate a session for us um, dealing with the uh, trauma of racism and um, gave people an opportunity um, to talk about how they were feeling, ask some questions. Um, there, there have been various type of emotions from the uh, trauma that was experienced, some from um, being angry, upset, frustrated, some even scared uh, because you don't know whether or not to take the death threat seriously. Um, and so there's a lot of a uh, lot of questions out there. Yes. Yes. So, Jason, you're across town. When did you learn of this? So um, that, that was a Sunday morning and um, I was getting ready for bed Sunday evening and got a text message from one of my members and they had texted uh, a link to the Christian Chronicle article. Mm. And that was the first I'd heard of it. So I uh, clicked on that and kind of read what happened and uh, mm. a terrible experience. Uh, my heart just felt like it went to my stomach, you know? Um, so sun Sunday evening is when, uh, when we kind of found it, when I found out anyway. You've been in Greensboro yourself for uh, 14 years or so. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And when you heard about this, uh, were you completely surprised or after you thought about it a little bit, did you realize that that was uh, not a complete surprise or how did you feel about it? 
Yeah, I think the, you know, human, you know, you've been around long enough that you're just not surprised by things people do, unfortunately. And, uh, but I think the overall feeling that I had was, uh, was shock, you know, and not, not, not necessarily, you know, uh, how does that happen and why does that happen? It, it, you know, there's been, it shouldn't happen. And, you know, those kind of feelings, it almost felt like I had a, you know, those little sumo wrestling suits you put on when you were younger. It, it just, everything, it just weighs on you, just weight. It felt like a weight uh, that, that evening. Um, I wasn't sure exactly how I was feeling, but certainly anger was in the mix of it all, but it was just all pretty overwhelming and a, a deep grief that night. I felt like, man, I, uh, not, you know, not sure what I should do. But my heart was uh, pretty heavy for Nick, especially for you, Nick. I was, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was a solidarity and, Hey, you're a preacher and I'm a preacher. And, and actually I thought that night, well, he's not going to sleep for a while. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, just, just the, you were thrust into a leadership burden that you didn't ask for. And, and, uh, so I, I felt heavy for you, you know, that night, just thinking about that and, uh, wasn't sure what to do about that. And, uh, so I was texting you and my wife was going, what's going on? You know, why are you spending all this time texting? We're supposed to be getting for bed. But, um, just felt like I needed to reach out to you. Uh, I'm, I'm not always the best at expressing my, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about things, about people, affections, but I don't always share them. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know, that night I just felt like I had to. And, and I'm glad I did. Uh, glad I did. Well received. Well received. You bet. And, you know, uh, Jason, Nick had mentioned that, and that's part of why we wanted you on this call, is he had mentioned that you reached out and what that meant to him. Uh, Jerry, um, you know, obviously, uh, you had been the minister for the church prior uh, 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 and uh, prior to coming to Atlanta, uh, where you and I met. And you were the one who uh, alerted me and some others to what had happened and uh, helped put some things in motion. Jerry, what was it like for you uh, as you heard the news and began to process it? Yeah, it it was uh, additional evidence uh, for me that God is still in the midst of orchestrating human events that human beings think that they're in control of. Mm. Uh, you know, matter of fact, I had just completed the second round of a retreat with Jason in the Friendly mm. Church of Christ that Saturday evening at <sighs> 7 p.m. Wow. dealing with this very issue of, of racism and white supremacy and had no idea that uh, the church, the black church across town would be met with this that following Sunday morning on the heels of the retreat that we had at, at Friendly Avenue. Wow. Uh, but looking at it uh, in retrospect, uh, when I was a minister at South English Street, uh, the Friendly Avenue Church of Christ and the South English Street Church of Christ uh, had joint worship services, um, mm -hmm. I think, annually. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we would find a neutral spot and everybody would show up uh, to worship. And so that was back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had no idea that this many years later, uh, these two churches in the same city would once again be in the same orbit yes. of the spiritual tissue 
mm. uh, had already been connected over the course of years uh, that would uh, prepare and equip us to stand forward in this hour and say uh, to those who are addicted to white supremacy and who worship the ideology of white supremacy, that we together as the followers of Jesus, we exalt the true God of the universe who has no form. Yes. He has no skin mm. on him. He is mm. pure spirit. Mm. And it is by the power that he gives to us that we're able to stand in solidarity together and to say, despite the ugliness that you put forth, you don't run this universe. Mm. Uh, we are connected to the God of all power and mm. all wisdom and all knowledge uh, that's still running things. It may appear that you're in, in charge of running things, but we know somebody who's really running things <laughs> and he's been able to manage this great big world uh, all the, 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 the time that it, it has existed and will continue to do so. And so I, I, I see this as a moment that God is sending a message, especially to those who are uh, members of his church uh, community, the Christian faith, that this is the time for us to step up and to put some action behind our words of solidarity so that not only can people hear us, they can see us uh, standing together in, in carrying out spiritual action. Yes. And Jerry, something that uh, touches me in, in what we've even just heard so far from Nick uh, and the Sharp Road Church, and then, of course, Jason and the Friendly Avenue Church, is that God is using you to work with both churches, right? Uh, not just in response to this, but specifically in this circumstance, God orchestrated something in the same weekend. And what, when you think through, Jerry, the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us not only expose the uh, sin that is associated with white supremacist ideologies, the sin that is associated with uh, the caste system that puts some people on top and some people beneath, that the sins that have uh, uh, not only brought those ideologies to, to fore, but also continue to flow out of those ideologies. When you see that, how is the Holy Spirit working through the church in order to tear down those strongholds demolish those strongholds and take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I really do think the Holy Spirit is uh, putting us in a position to where we're going to have to decide uh, whether we're going to live according to the wisdom of heaven or according to the wisdom that's been shaped and fashioned and formed by this fallen and corrupt world. Mm. Uh, the ideology of white supremacy is a human construct that did not derive from heaven. Right. Uh, it is it is unspiritual. It is earthly, uh, as James says. It is even demonic. Yes. Uh, and and idolatrous. And so, I think the Holy Spirit is pushing the church in this hour uh, to decide whether we're going to live according to the wisdom that comes from heaven, or according to the wisdom that uh, is of this earth. And you, we can't walk according to both of them. James says that leads to instability. Yeah. It makes us unstable in all that we do. Uh, 
Yeah. And so I, I, I say this to my white brothers and sisters uh, in white churches, that you will have to decide. This, this is the critical hour for my white brothers and sisters, from the leadership to the membership. You have to decide whether you really are going to make your choices and your decisions based on a wisdom that is from above, from the heavenly kingdom that we give allegiance to, or whether you're going to succumb to being seduced and following the wisdom of this fallen and corrupt world. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit has placed before us in this day and time, as he has placed before the church in every generation uh, following the, the first open church. So, but this critical hour, I think, is what uh, we're having to make a choice. We got to make, it's not between black or white. It is between the wisdom of heaven versus the wisdom of this world. Yeah. And, uh, and we have to make that decision. Otherwise, uh, it would be revealed that we are apostate as a church. Yeah. And uh, we, have, uh, we have fallen away from the will of the one who brought the church into existence. Yes. And, you know, something you said there that I want to pick up on as we transition to some comments from Doug is you said something very uh, important to me, Jerry, is that in every generation uh, of the church, from the very beginning until now, there are iterations of this uh, on every continent. There are iterations of this exact same problem. Yes. And so it's always a challenge between the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of heaven, but it shows itself in a myriad of ways. And so today we wouldn't necessarily say, well, you know, the choice was between uh, uh, Julius Caesar or Nero, but in that first century, it was right there. Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? And we know that, right? And then when we move forward, uh, century by century, we are constantly confronted with the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God. And in this generation, right here, right now, for the gospel impact of the church in the world, and specifically in our country, this issue is of vital, timely importance. Yes, and yes. so, a Doug, uh, your journey, could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how God has been bringing you into this conversation over the past several decades and tell us the, how you got involved with Jerry uh, as helping move this conversation along? Yeah, Don, I'm glad to talk a little bit about my particular circumstances, uh, but I think it's important to say that what I'm going to tell about my story, while it has very specific things that are true about me and unique to me, I guess, it's a universal story in America. And so I would have to say that uh, I was formed in a totally segregated society. I was born in 1952, the 50s and 60s as the civil rights movement began to gear up. Uh, this was uh, this was a time, I guess you could say, of of, of a battle. Mm. Uh, my context in the Tuscumbia, Alabama Church of Christ was a totally white context. Mm. In the town, the city, the area that we lived in, everything was totally segregated. And 
there, I guess you could say, there were neural pathways, if you want to use a psychological term or a, uh, a neurological term, there were neural pathways that were being formed in my mind, mm. sometimes overtly, but usually not overtly, that made white supremacy the operative system of my life. Mm. And it made it the operative system of every other white person's life and every other person of color for that matter, although they were not in the the advantaged group, but they still, they knew what was going on. Mm. For me, uh, growing up as a child, um, I mean, all the people that I loved and trusted, the church leaders, my family, I mean, my grandmother was a leader in the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Mm. Okay? She got me and all of my siblings enrolled in the organization, the auxiliary organization to the United Daughters of the Confederacy that was called the Children of the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. We met monthly. Mm -hmm. We read Confederate diaries and accounts of Confederate soldiers who wrote their stories after they, they lived, obviously from a certain kind of viewpoint. We sang songs. We sold Confederate flags on Confederate Memorial Day and went and decorated the graves of Confederate soldiers that had died from our little town. Uh, every, my grandfather worked at the courthouse. He was the county tax assessor. Every time we would go visit him, we walked right past a Confederate soldier statue mm. that uh, the United Daughters of the Confederacy there in my town had erected. And I, I went and found a photograph of it. And on the side of that statue, it says, the men were right who wore the gray and right can never die. Mm. Well, what that means is, and what that's being, the, you know, the pathways that are being created in my mind, in my heart, are thoroughly, again, not always overt, but in a thousand ways, being formed to tell me that white supremacy, and I couldn't even have said that terminology, but sure. the white supremacy was definitely the, the right. It was the way things were supposed to be. It was the way things God intended things to be. Um, at church, the, the High Street Church of Christ in Tuscumbia, Alabama, was a black congregation. And the preacher there was a kinsperson of Marshall Keeble by marriage. Mm. And so generally, fairly frequently, at least once a year, Brother Keeble would come and hold a gospel meeting for the High Street Church of Christ. Now, white people could go there and hear Brother Keeble, all right? I remember going with my grandmother. We were treated royally. We were given some of the best seats in the house. No black person could ever come into the Tuscumbia Church of Christ, the Fourth Street Church of Christ, the white church. Now, I noticed that. But nobody, again, that I loved and trusted seemed to think that there was anything wrong with it, that there was anything out of ordinary. These are the kinds of things that, uh, that, that so deeply were shaped in my heart and mind. And, I, you know, I think I, I, I've been doing a lot of introspection recently and trying to sort of look back. I think it began, that is the transition to try to, to understand that there is something deeply, deeply anti-Christian going on here, something that is wrong, something that is unjust. 
quite frankly, began when I began studying church history. Uh, American church history, and even the, the, the history of our own movement and the Stone Campbell movement. And again, it's all pretty much an intellectual thing, but I began to see certain kinds of clearly wicked, evil things that were going on, things that sometimes came up sort of on the side, uh, even histories that would include histories of black churches of our movement. It was always uh, segregated. The chapter was a separate chapter as if, well, you know, the real story is over here. <laughs> but, you know, these folks were around and we'll, we'll mention them and, and then go back to the, to the real story. Yes. Um, and so I think that intellectually I began to understand some of this stuff. I actually did a project, a, a research project on a, a religious group in America. My focus was American Christianity, American church history and restoration church history, as, as we usually called it. Um, but I did a, a survey, a, a study, historical study of one of the most liberal American religious groups, the Universalist Church of America. Okay, it's now part of the Unitarian Universalist Association, right? And I did this study, and I don't know really why I was drawn to this, but it was a study of the racism in the Unitarian, the, the Universalist Church of America, which now is the Unitarian Universalist Association, but, but the same thing continued. And, uh, and I was doing this research and something clicked in my mind. I'm, I'm slow, all right? Something began to click in my mind. You know, the same thing could be said about Churches of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I said, and every other religious group in America, predominantly white religious group in America, and so there's this realization that begins to come. I think that for a long time, it was primarily intellectual. Mm. I think it was transformative to a certain degree. I, I have no doubt that it was transformative because God has given us our intellect and it's important for us to learn and know and grow in that kind of thing. And I think that's a first step. But it really wasn't until I began to have uh, a relationship, mm. relationships with people. Uh, I'd done some of this intellectual work, but when Jerry came to, to ACU uh, 18 years ago now, I think, is that right, Jerry? Yeah, 18. Uh, we, somehow we connected very, very quickly, and we began to, to talk and visit and uh, have lunch together, and um, the commitments that Jerry had and, and some of the things that uh, he gratefully uh, mentored me in, things began to happen at a completely different level, a, a level that moved it from, I think, a truly transformative intellectual experience to a truly uh, transformative personal relationship experience that resulted in action. Mm. Now, I don't want to make any, I don't want to make, I want to make absolutely sure that I don't come across saying, well, if you just have personal relationships then everything is solved, that's not the case. Personal relationships are absolutely, absolutely essential for transformation and understanding. There's no question. But a lot of white people stop there and think, well, I have black friends and, and we get along fine. But it, it goes beyond that. Uh, the, the, uh, the institutions of this nation have been so infused for 400 years with white supremacy, the, the education system, the economic system, 
uh, employment, healthcare, you can go down the line in every one of these areas. If you are a person of color in this nation, you are at, in a worse position when you look as a whole than, than people who are white. And so there's, it goes beyond those relationships, but I think that they are absolutely, those friendships, that love, that transformative connection is absolutely rock bottom essential. I, I'm always drawn to the passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about the veil, mm. the veil that Moses had to put a veil over his face, but he goes on and uses, he gives it a spiritual uh, application. And what I see there, he talks about the Jews having a veil over their face and not being able to really hear the gospel. And when in Christ, the veil is removed, but then he says that we um, are being transformed. Yes. Not we have been transformed fully, but we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, which tells me that it's, it's going to have to keep on and on and on. You don't ever get there. Yes. As a white person, I will never fully grasp everything and, and know the depths of the evil, even though at some level I can, and I can act against it. I'll never, I have to keep learning. Yeah. Keep working. Thank That's kind of a little bit of my story. And Doug, thank you for that. Mm. You know, uh, you, be, I, you know, I've known you for many years and I've admired the ongoing awakening, 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 awakening. And I think that's a, a spirit of humility that has to infuse this process. Nick, Nick, when you hear Doug and when you hear Jason and you hear what they're sharing, what are some things that you think about, some experiences, some feelings that you have serving uh, in a primarily black congregation, what are some feelings that you have about this idea of relationships and solidarity and breaking down these walls? What are some thoughts and feelings that you have about that? Um, I think that is vitally important. Um, I think that once you get past the outer exterior and have a conversation and dialogue, um, you see that we have more in common then we do this not in, co this in common, um, but oftentimes we don't want to get past that initial step. We have so many barriers up. And, but once we start peeling back the layers and see that we're all human, we're all God's children. And, um, and, and that's the way that God would intend for it to be, but it's challenging, you know, cause it, the, the history is there. And, um, and, and even in the conversations we've had since the attack on the other week um, in, in talking with people through the process of trying to, grasp what's happened is like well now i wonder what every person that is white is really thinking about me mm. and so i say well you can't approach it that way because now you're reverse profiling mm. and so you have to take people and, and 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 take them for who they are and um give them the opportunity uh to 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 show who they are mm. and so um it's i'm just encouraged to hear the, the you know the story from from Doug and of course um, Jason and um, it gives us it's, it's hopeful it's hopeful yeah Jerry in your work uh, with Jason I'd like for the two of you to share a little bit about about that weekend right before the attack on the Sharp Road Church um, how about we start this way Jason 
why did you want Jerry to uh, help with that uh, initiative? What, what brought that about? You've been there 14 years, right? What brought it about that you wanted Jerry and the Spain Center and all of that uh, experience and uh, guidance to come to your church? What brought that about? I think that we, you know, we were as a leadership team incredibly burdened by what we were seeing in our in our community, in our own city, in our country, around racial tensions, and uh, we were posing the question to ourselves, you know, what what should we do about this? And our our go to leadership response is, hey, let's reach out to Sharp Road and do a do a combined service because the tissues are there. And that's, that, that lives on, you know, years later. And, um, but, you know, we, I think uh, we realize that, that that's, you know, maybe there's some other things we need to think about and this COVID and, you know, so uh, Jerry's name came up as a resource and we thought, well, let's re- reach out to Jerry and see if he can help us think about uh, more deeply, m- more honestly, uh, more spiritually about, you know, what's really going on and how we can respond and action and thought and in love in, in ways that are going to be helpful and to help us understand, you know, what's going on. So it kind of started as a seed and I'll, I'll just shoot it straight with you here at Friendly Avenue. We don't, we don't have, you know, the spirit leads us, which means we're, we're confused. I mean, things just kind of happen, you know, somebody has an idea and then somebody else does this and then all of a sudden we're doing a retreat. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's the behind the scenes look at church, you know, leadership at Friendly Avenue. But we, uh, we, we ended up spending about 24 hours uh, doing some real spiritual stuff uh, with my elders and our staff. And, and then we came back a month later and did a full Saturday specifically looking at uh, white supremacy and racism in, in, the, in the churches, uh, American churches. So. And that's kind of how it all all started. But yeah, that was what we were doing Saturday. You know, who, who, who would have thought you know, yes. Sunday morning, like you said, uh, the our two churches would once again uh, come together. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I would suggest that uh, you might have be in good company when the apostle uh, John said, hey, you know, Jesus said that the spirit blows and you don't know where the spirit came from or where it's going, right? We're just, we're just trying to catch the wind. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so, Jerry, I, I think a vital component that I just kind of, you know, let's crack open a little courageous part of the conversation. Um, quite often, I hear people suggest that addressing issues of race and justice um, are not central to the gospel. You know, I, I hear that. And so how would you respond to someone who would suggest that this really isn't central to the mission of the church, right? How would you respond to that? I would say the mission of the church involves everywhere God is. And if they can tell me where God is not, then I would say that the gospel has no business there. But if God is everywhere, if his universal presence is intact, there is no dualism or separation between uh, the sacred and the secular. If God is everywhere at the same time, 
uh, then his people must be busy uh, in promoting what his will is. Yeah. Now, we don't do that in some type of fanatical uh, fashion, uh, but we do not withdraw uh, from the affairs of this world because this is God's world. He created it, and he's still um, uh, seriously concerned about what happens here and what we as the pinnacle of his creation, what we're doing with his creation and within his creation. Yes. It is when we, uh, when we forget that God is the universal architect of this human experience that we began to feel that it's our job to prolong the existence of our particular race. Mm. Uh, we began to feel that we have to engage in population control, ethnic cleansing, uh, genocide and those other atrocious things that we saw unfold in Nazi Germany and in Rwanda, that's when human beings seek to take God's place. Yes. Uh, no particular race created itself. Yes. Uh, no particular race gave its own self the authority to enter into this world. And the truth of the matter is no race is going to become extinct uh, in this world, outside of God's will. God is still in control. It, it's when we, especially Christians, begin to operate feeling as if we have to prolong the, the existence of our race. You, you, you've, just, uh, you've just taken God's role. And that's the highest form of irreverence and disrespect to the creator, uh, to the sovereignty of God, is to usurp his authority, his control over his creation, and to feel as if you have the right to exercise a wisdom that would say our race uh, is to exist even to the detriment of other races that serve as what we perceive to be a threat to the existence of our race. And so I think that the gospel message is very relevant here because, again, uh, we have to call people's hearts back to their rightful owner. Mm. Encourage people to take every thought that is antithetical to the wisdom of God to take that thought captive. Yes. And if the church doesn't do that uh, in our country today, we will end up just like the country of Rwanda that claimed to be 90 so percent Christian. Yes. And people started killing each other the day following Easter. Yes. And so that's what we're facing right now is that the church got to get out in the culture, get out the salt box and become the salt. Uh, and take the lampshade off and let the light be shown. And we have to do it with conviction and with courage and yes. in solidarity with each other. The, the, the country is crying for this. We need it desperately. Uh, the country needs it more so now than maybe in the past. Yes. You know, you, that wisdom is amazing. And right here, right now, I am reminded again of why conversations like this are so vital. Um, I think back uh, almost 20 years ago to being in a class at uh, Emory University uh, where Desmond Tutu was the professor. And I remember as he described 
the work that they were doing in South Africa to not just dismantle apartheid, but to address the ideology that created apartheid in the first place. And I remember sitting there and I had this epiphany. I thought to myself, wait a minute, you banked the future of your nation on the gospel call to forgiveness. I don't know why that had not come to me sooner. Perhaps, Doug, it hadn't come to me sooner because I share a a social upbringing, not identical, right, to your specificity, but I share an upbringing where that never, that channel wasn't on my television, right? And so when I sat there and I heard this person explain how they thought through the options and they actually uh, uh, consulted other nations, consulted other nations. What did you do to heal after uh, such levels of civil strife? What did you do? And they consulted other nations and they accepted recommendations and they rejected other recommendations. But in the end, they realized, and he is famous for saying this, uh, Desmond Tutu is, no future without forgiveness. So the idea that you would take Jesus's call and, and make that a part of the national decision to move forward was so surprising to me. I don't know why, and I'm just going to take responsibility for it. I'm not going to act like I had it figured out before I heard it because I didn't. And, and Don, let me just add this. This is why it is critical for the white churches in America to practice the Christian faith that they espouse so eloquently from the pulpits and from their pews. Because when you align yourself with a political agenda that discredits every moral teaching of Jesus, you then run the risk of the Christian faith that we espouse that that will be discredited in the hearts and minds of the very people that we will seek to appeal to with the gospel that may unhook from the Christian faith altogether because they feel as if the Christian faith uh, has given its endorsement uh, and its approval of the kind of behavior we see taking place in the political arena today. And I need not to be more specific with that. But we're losing young people, both black and white, from our churches. I mean, they're leaving And they're not going to hear uh, the message that calls for forgiveness Mm. from a Christian perspective if they have already given up hope uh, and and even holding on to that Christian faith. And that's why it's critical for our white churches to step up and speak out and say that we're not with this current agenda of white supremacy and uh, the hatred, the ideological hatred that is being uh, promoted in our culture today. If the church, the churches, white churches don't step up and do that, we'll look around and a whole lot of people will have disaffected from our ranks and maybe never to return. And that's the risk that we're facing now in in this country. And I just had to share that uh, with, with, with the point that you're making. And I think what you're saying is absolutely right. We got to figure out how Uh, to give credibility uh, to our practice of the Christian faith 
uh, from our white brothers and sisters so that our black brothers and sisters and Hispanic brothers and sisters and say that they won't be able to say that uh, you're asking us to do something that white people have not been able to do in terms of repentance nor forgiveness. That's right. And so I wanted to just add that in there. Yes. And thank you. And I, and I want to follow that up, Jerry, with the clarification too, that what I heard from Desmond Tutu's testimony did not translate him to my life to put a burden of forgiveness on the black or brown community of this nation. What I heard was, if you're a Christian, make it count. Yes. If you're a Christian, well, then be a Christian in the arenas where the greatest test may be experienced in your life. And it was very transformative into how I I thought moving forward. Um, So we have a call to action. And I remember that call to action, as I mentioned at the beginning of our podcast this evening. And in just a moment, Nick, I'm going to ask you to give us a closing word for uh, this evening. But I want to share the call to action. And so upon learning of what happened at the Sharp Road Church, then a group of people were called together. Uh, Dr. Taylor uh, called us together. And these were a group of white church leaders. And uh, we reached out to Nick and asked the question, from your perspective, what would help? Rather than us coming at uh, uh, Nick or the Sharp Road Church with a plan, we wanted to know what would help. And out of his guidance and the guidance of Dr. Taylor and um, uh Doug Foster, who's on this call, and then also uh, Colin Packer in the Dallas area and Allen, Texas, a statement was formed and a statement of solidarity, a statement expressing love, a statement rejecting the ideologies that are anti-Christian that lead to such, such actions as the assault on the church during the worship service or what we see happening in other communities. That statement was accompanied by a video that we made and specifically to share our love and solidarity with the Sharp Road Church, which was played on last Sunday. And now the Spain Center that Jerry directs that is at the at Abilene Christian University, the Carl Spain Center, who is a great resource for this work, is hosting on their website, our call to action. So the call to action is to go to carlspaincenter.org, carlspaincenter.org backslash solidarity, carlspaincenter.org backslash solidarity. There you will find the statement that was crafted to express our love and solidarity with the Sharp Road Church and with brothers and sisters of color, as well as our rejection of the ideologies that led to and fostered the attack that they experienced. We're asking you to take a step of action, courageous action. We want you to go to the Carl Spence Main Center um, website. We want you to read that statement. 
We want you to sign that statement. We would like for you to post that uh, 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 link in your social media and encourage the members of your churches to sign on to this statement because we want to take courageous conversations and move them into courageous action. So we're asking you to do that. You can do it right now. If you're watching live, it'll be posted in the chat box. But what we'd ask you to do is right now just recognize that as we have spoken of tonight, this is about a decision between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. It is a decision about believing that Jesus Christ came to redeem the world and on the cross to birth one new humanity and break down all the barriers of hostility. And as Dr. Taylor said, wherever God is at work, we want to be at work there with God. God is everywhere. God is always working. And we want to join God in that work. And so, Nick, I'd ask you to give us kind of a final uh, comment tonight as we close our podcast. Um, well, I, I would get, like to again say thank you for having us on tonight. Um, this has been a great um, discussion, great talk. Um, we appreciate all the prayers, the well wishes um, that, to the Sharp Road Church. And um, when you had reached out to me, I said the one thing that we, we don't want to feel is alone. And so definitely we have felt the love, the support. Um, we appreciate the action. Um, I believe that the gospel um, that we obeyed ought to shape our behavior um, and, and together, united, um, we can conquer anything. And so um, I believe that um, this is a great step toward that, to making toward that, that making that a reality. And just like to thank everyone for being on and, and tuning in tonight. Thank you so much. So Nick, uh, Jerry, Jason, Doug. Thank you for joining us and thank you all for joining the Love First podcast this evening. Please like, share, and just subscribe. And please go to carlspaincenter.org backslash solidarity and take that courageous action. Love first, I know.